1: Okay, kids, you're in for a real treat today. These gentlemen have kindly volunteered to demonstrate how a stun gun is used to subdue a suspect. That's right. Wait like, a second. What? Now, there's two ways to use a stun gun. Up close and personal.
0: Or, oh,
1: fuck. you can shoot it from a distance. Now, do I have any volunteers? who want to come up here and do some shooting, huh? All right, how about you, young lady? Come on up here.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. My guest on this week's show is the hilarious Rob Riggle. Rob has such a fascinating story, from starting out in the Marines at 19 years old to eventually joining SNL for a season and then going on to The Daily Show. Um, You also know him from films like Step Brothers and The Hangover and so many other great parts. And now he is hosting a mini-golf competition show called Holy Moly on ABC. Rob can be kind of an intimidating presence on screen, but he really could not have been sweeter in person, so I'm really excited for everyone to hear this interview. Before we get to that, I want to remind you again to please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Let us know who your favorite uh, guest on the show has been so far, who you want to see on the show. Uh, One recent commenter suggested Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I am keeping my fingers crossed that that just might happen in the near future. But for now, let's listen to me and Rob Riggle. So, where are you coming from today?
1: Oh, gosh. I did, um, what did I do? Access Live and The Talk.
0: Oh, wow. How's The Talk? Seems like that would be intense. It's always <laughs> intense. You know,
1: they actually were very gracious, very yeah. kind. And it was simple. It's softball stuff. We weren't talking politics. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, thank goodness because no one can win when you talk politics.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, congrats on holy moly! Thank uh, you. I saw that the the premiere got something like uh, ten million viewers over all the different platforms. That's like yeah. some that's like some Game of Thrones shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's Game of Thrones level, but it got it. It did very well, yeah. and uh, I'm very happy about yeah. that.
0: Were you Were you surprised? I mean, it seems like it kind of I didn't know what to expect from the show, and um, it seems like people people are really digging it. Yeah,
1: you know, it's not. Uh, I don't know if it's so much being surprised uh, as it is. I'm just really glad because you never know how these things go. Yeah. You know, I I've, I've made movies where you're like, "Oh, this is going to be amazing." Or you make movies and you're like, "I think it's funny, but I, I have no idea." Yeah. And then it turns out to be The Hangover or, you know, and, and and it goes off the charts and so you're like, "Wow, I guess I guess it just struck with people." And same thing with this. You know, we had fun doing it, but you never know if people are going to embrace it or not. And they did, thank goodness.
0: Yeah. So, can you kind of talk about how this show came to be? I know Steph Curry is uh, was part of the the origin story of it. So, how did you get how did you get involved in it? I
1: don't know. They asked me. Yeah. It's real simple. It's, you know, it's not like it was, <laughs> I wish there was some sexy backstory. Um, I had met Steph a couple times. When I think maybe when I hosted the ESPYS, mm-hmm. I had met him. Um, I think. Um, but uh, the Tahoe golf tournament, I'd met him a couple times on the putting green. Yeah, you guys
0: are both big golfers, yeah. Yeah,
1: and so, uh, so we kind of knew of each other that way. And then when they reached out to me uh, to do the show, you know, um, I'm a working comedian and actor, mm-hmm. so you know, of course, I'm <laughs> like, yeah, tell me, I love golf. Tell me more. It Sounds yeah. fun. And uh, so when they described what was going on, I said, "Yeah, let's let's do it." So that's basically how it came about.
0: Yeah, I love how much you guys kind of acknowledge the absurdity of it up yeah. up top. Um, just you know, the idea of uh, of this taking this seriously. I think you have <laughs> Many to golf tournament. Yeah, you have yeah.
1: to. You know, anybody if you try to, yeah, it's the only way to play it is to <laughs> is to have fun with it. It's all about focus on the distractor. Take everything you knew about golf etiquette and throw it out the window. Uh Uh-oh. What is that sound? It is none other than Grammy Award winner Kenny G. Holy moly! Look at this! The sweet stylings of Kenny G in the face of Holly Fine. A master of distraction and a master of outstanding
0: saxophone music. Sometimes I'll be driving around the road and I'll think of Kenny G and drive into a ditch. Um yeah was that kind of how do, how does it work in terms of the the commentary cuz it seems like it's a lot of it's uh, must be has to be improvised in the moment because you're kind yeah. of reacting to this real stuff so was that an appeal for you too to kind of be able to to improvise in that way
1: Yeah I think so I think um you know I came up through improv at the UCB Theater in yeah. New York and uh, and I still do it out here in LA at the UCB Theater So improv and sketch and and eventually I started doing stand up but but um uh, improv's always been the first love. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love those kind of situations where you can um, crack wise, Mm -hmm. if you will, on, on things like that. So yeah, yeah, I, that's, it definitely appealed to me to have that element uh, of the, of the show. It was was like that on the daily show too. When you are doing an interview in the field, there are no, there are no writers around, you know, you just have to make you know, if you get a crazy answer, you got to make something out of that, or you know, you yeah. got you've got to make something happen in those interviews, uh, or in those moments. I'm talking about the field pieces, yeah. You yeah. Know, the set pieces back in the studio were different, but um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely a fun uh, skill to. Uh, dust off every now and then it's like a muscle. You got to exercise it.
0: Yeah, I've talked to a lot of the a lot of daily show people on this show so far, um uh, including Jenna Friedman, who is uh you know a field producer mm-hmm. and uh, Jordan Klepper and samantha b and and just talking about how those field pieces really do feel like, The ultimate improv exercises in some ways because you're doing improv with someone who's kind of a willing participant, kind of doesn't know they're in an improv scene always.
1: They definitely don't know they're in an improv scene. (laughs) They're there to tell you a story. Yeah. And and usually they're there to tell you their story and they're not listening to you. And that's why you get away with so much is because they're on transmit more than they're on receive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to talk about the Daily Show uh, later, but I also wanted to ask you about um, the Shark Week uh, special that you have coming up because yeah. I saw the, the promo for that. That looks like a lot of fun. Um, what What can people expect uh, from from well, that from that show?
1: Yeah, last year it, last year I got to co host it with Shaq, mm-hmm. and we had a blast. And this year they asked me to come back and host it, and bring some friends. So I mm-hmm. did. So I brought um, uh, Damon Wayne's Jr., Joel McHale. Adam Devine and Anthony Anderson. Yeah. All people that I've worked with on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Damon and I have done a couple movies together. And uh, uh, the rest of us have done comedy. Adam Devine and I used to tour together doing stand-up. Oh, yeah. Way back in the day. And uh, so... Anyway, it was fun to get everybody back together and kind of hang. And uh, so I took them down to the Bahamas and we went swimming with sharks. We went scuba diving with sharks. We went out in the open water. We did it in tanks. We had multiple exposures to multiple sharks and it's for real. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's, it's, how protected are you? I mean, you're not.
1: (laughs) It's, I'm in a wetsuit. Uh, There's no, there's no chain mail on us or anything. There was uh, the, we let, there was one set of chain mail, Mm -hmm. uh, but the guy who was handling the bait box, uh, mm-hmm. the chum box on the bottom of the ocean floor, we let him wear it because, you know, the <laughs> sharks were coming by and he had it in his hands and stuff. And But we were, you know, at one point we were surrounded by like 20 sharks. Yeah. And because they came in for the feeding and it's intense. Your heart's racing and your head's on a swivel and, and you know, they, you can tell like sometimes they're looking at you and they're checking you out and then they move on and then they circle back. And so, um... Oh, somebody's, uh, we're in... Nope. oh, I guess that's,
0: <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's not that yeah someone's must knocking on the door it must be
1: outside, <laughs>
0: yeah
1: um anyway, so it was very intense and it was a, it was a it was cool because it was also kind of a bonding experience because as soon as we get out of the water and we get back on the boat. You know, you're like,
0: you're like kids again. You're Mm -hmm. like, oh my God,
1: did you see that one? And oh, that one swim right between your legs and da, da, da. And, and it was just a very cool uh, experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, with a bunch of comedians, it seems like there must be some, uh, you know, pressure to be funny in that situation. But how do you, is it hard to be funny when you're surrounded by sharks?
1: No, that's the thing. Like, I think that's how comedians deal with stress and anxiety is they make fun of it Mm -hmm. and they try to make jokes about it. And so. And you, and also when you get a bunch of comedians in the room, they're all going. Of course, they're going to start cracking yeah. jokes and and doing bits and stuff, which is what you hope for, mm-hmm. and that's what we were hoping for. Yeah. So,
0: did any of those guys uh, handle it uh, better or worse than others? The the sharks.
1: Um, everybody was pretty pretty good. I think Anthony, you know, screamed the most, <laughs> um, but I think he was playing it for laughs yeah. too. So, yeah. uh, you know,
0: any any stories uh, that you can share, maybe that didn't that aren't going to make the, the final cut. Um, from your from your day out there with the sharks? Uh,
1: I mean no we, we, it was so funny that we'd get like um, so uh, well at one point I was uh, I had a big old fish head on a rope mm-hmm. and I was chumming the waters the shallows and this beach at Exuma which is this remote you know abandoned island mm-hmm. and we're, we're chumming and I would let the and I was trying to get the sharks in closer to shore and and they would see the fish head the chum. And they would come at it and then I'd, I'd reel the rope in and then bring them in closer mm-hmm. and then I'd throw it back out and that's how we kept the sharks close. Yeah. And then I threw it out one time and um, I let a shark get a hold of it. Yeah. And you can have a little tug of war. It's, mm-hmm. like, a, it's like a dog with a bone, you know, <laughs> you're, you're having a tug of war and um, um, I let too much slack get in the rope mm-hmm. and so when he because normally, if you keep it taunt, you got it. It's not a problem. Yeah. But when I let too much slack, he turned and got a running right. start and yeah. <laughs> pulled that rope right through my hand. Oof. And I can you can still see the oh the God. cut yeah. right there. And it went all the way around because it was it was around my hand, and it just went. Zoo- and it ripped my hand, and you know, Oof. so that was starting to bleed. And then I was like, I don't want to be in the water with a bloody hand. Yeah, doesn't and, sound good. And then he got the, you know, I, I let go of the rope because it was just burning. Yeah. And so he swam off with the fish head and the rope. and We never saw him <laughs> again. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe that made made. I don't know if the cameras were rolling or not on that one. Yeah.
0: So what'd you do about the bloody hand?
1: Nothing. I put some. Uh, I put some band aids on it, and we we kept going.
0: <laughs> um. So I want to kind of go back a little bit and talk a little bit about your um, your story and kind of how you got to where you are. Um, so you uh, you joined the Marines at twenty years old, yeah, 19. nineteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you how did you make that decision at that time? And and at that time, was comedy something that was even kind of on your on your mind on your radar?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I was a I was a huge comedy fan growing up. I mean, I was a child of the '80s, so Stripes, Caddyshack. Ghostbusters, um, uh, whatever else, you know, mm-hmm. any comedy, I, I soaked up, yeah. just soaked it up. Mm-hmm. And in high school, you know, I played a lot of sports, but I was um, I was in forensics is what it was called back in Kansas. Oh, it was yeah. called forensics. And it's it's like theater, but it's theater competition. Mm-hmm. So you would you would sign up and you'd go for a weekend and, you know, I'm going to be in IDA's. Improvised duet acting oh, wow. or I'd be in
0: um, It's like theater sports like in, right. Uh, it's kind of like, right.
1: Well, but that's more improv <laughs> it, like games improv yeah. games But this was like so you'd sign up for like three or four events in a weekend and so IDA and DA which was like duet acting so you would actually get scenes and prepare a scene and You know, I loved that stuff, you know, yeah. b- um, because I didn't have to do necessarily whole productions and I could still go for a weekend and do these competitions Um, and I could still play sports and I could still do, you know, like it just was a nice mix. And so I, I had, I had a passion for it, but I didn't have the guts for it. Mm -hmm. So when I got to, uh, Kansas university, which is where I went to undergrad, I, um, was a theater and film major there. And I was really, I liked to focus on film. I was really, I enjoyed studying film and I thought I was going to be a filmmaker and I, I enjoyed the acting, but again, I just didn't think I, you know, to me, it was such a pipe dream. It was like, well. Only certain people are actors and it's, mm-hmm. you're never going to get paid. And da da da. Well, while I was doing that, um, I also got my pilot's license.
0: So um, I had my pilot's license. Just because that was something you were interested in. Or? Well,
1: it was. Um, it was. Uh, it, it did interest me, um, and I was fortunate enough. My grandfather, I think, was living vicariously through me, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he offered to pay for my pilot's license. Mm. So I said. Okay. I wasn't going to (laughs) say no to it. Um, So I said, okay. And uh, I I went and did that. And then um, I guess some recruiter heard about me, you know, with my pilot's license and said, listen, we offer a guaranteed flight contract. So you can join the Marines and become a pilot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all you got to do is take this test. And if you score high enough, we can get you the contract. And then, of course, you got to do all the other stuff. You got to, actually go through boot camp and you got to go through officer candidate school and you got to go through the basic school and you got to do all this stuff but you'll get to flight school and you can be top gun or whatever
0: (laughs) well you know is that what you had in your head is what world was going to be like yeah
1: i mean uh, i've made this joke a thousand times but you know i was looking at two choices top gun or waiter top gun or waiter (laughs) Uh, you know into a 20 22 year old kid you know i'll take top gun Um, Had you seen
0: Cocktail at that point? Maybe that. Of was course. Really. I'd seen them all. I'd
1: seen them all. <laughs> that could be it, yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's what I did. I I I joined when I was 19. Um, I finished my undergrad. I went through Officer candidate School while I was an undergrad. When mm-hmm. I graduated from college, I accepted my commission as a second lieutenant. Uh, I went to the basic school. Then I went down to Pensacola, started flight school there. And then I went to Corpus Christi, continued on flight school there. Got, um, I think I think I got helicopters uh, out of uh, primary and intermediates, uh, mm-hmm. which is if you line up seven out of ten, if you line up ten pilots, seven in the Marine Corps, seven of them are going to be helicopter pilots.
0: Just because there's more space for that's that? That's because that's what we do. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's, that's the workhorse, mm-hmm. um, the helicopter fleet. We have Cobras. We have CH-53s. We have CH-46s. We have Hueys. We have this whole helicopter fleet because that's what we were infantry, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. yeah. And then we have two out of the 10 pilots would be jet pilots. Mm-hmm. They fly F-18s and Harriers. And then one out of the 10 would be C-130 pilot, transport, cargo, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I finished primary and intermediate in Corpus and I got this. Well, at that same time, someone reached out to me, a friend of mine from college who was had moved up to Chicago and was t- was studying at Second City and, mm. and Improv Olympic, And he called me and was like, dude, Riggle, I'm telling you, it, what we did in college, it's called improv. <laughs> it has a name, and you would do really well up here. People are doing it. Yeah, people do it. <laughs> and, and he goes, and you would do really, really, you're better than half the people up here. I'm telling you, you should come up and do this. And I'm like, Kevin, it was, his name was Kevin. Yeah. I was like, Kevin, I'm in... Flight school (laughs) in the Marine Corps right now. I've signed a contract. You know, like I'm. This is this is it. And he's like, I'm telling you, dude, you you need to think about this. So I did because you know it was a passion of mine, and flying was fine. I I was Mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. But you need to be passionate about what you do. Yeah. And if you especially if you're flying off a ship at night Mm -hmm. over some ocean, and you got you know, 15 Marines in the back of your helicopter, you got to love what you're doing.
0: Yeah, the stakes are a little higher than than
1: improv. Yeah, and so I did. I did some real soul-searching, and it was my first big decision in my life. I call it my quarter-life crisis. Mm -hmm. I think I was 24 at the time. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to continue to pursue flying, or was I going to stop before? Because once I got my wings, once you pin your wings on... Mm That's that's when it's over because then they got you. Yeah. And you owe them eight years from Mm -hmm. that moment forward. So it took it takes two and a half years to get there. Yeah. And then eight years after that. So I was like, oh, God, you know, if I pin those wings on, I'm in for almost 11 years. Then I'd only have nine years to retirement. I'd be a senior captain or a junior major at that point. So. It'd be foolish to get out if I only had nine more years. So yeah. all of a sudden I was like, dang, I'm looking at 20 years That's in the blink life. of an eye. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, goodness. So I, I made my first grown-up decision. Well, my second one. My first one was to join. Mm-hmm. My second one was to uh, stop flying. Yeah. So I did. And I stopped flying. And I, I transitioned over to the ground side, which made my contract go down
0: mm-hmm. in
1: a matter of length. I was fine with that. I, w- I wasn't trying to skate out. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to get out of anything. Yeah. But I just I, – I didn't want to do 20 mm-hmm. years, which was kind of what I was looking at. Or at least I didn't want to do 11 years even yeah. before I even had the choice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought, okay, um, I'm going to switch to the ground side. And that's what I did. I, I quit flying. I switched over to the ground side, became a ground officer, um, went to defense information school. They made me a public affairs officer. So then from there I went – from uh, Denfos is what it's called, Defense Information School. Um, I went from Denfos to the fleet, joined Second Marine Air Wing out in Cherry Point. Um, while stationed there, I was the deputy public affairs officer for Second Marine Air Wing and went to night school. Um, and, you know, that's, there's not much to do in eastern North Carolina except get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I just went to night school, kept myself out of trouble, <laughs> and got a master's in public administration. And then when my time was up after three years on station there, I was like, all right. Thanks for the memories. I'm out of here. I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to study at Second City and I'm going to give this thing a shot.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even that was like three years where you kind of had to think about whether that was still what you wanted to do. And at the end of that three years, it was still Second City was still what you wanted to do. It
1: was still the choice because... You know, I, I don't I don't quit things very often. Maybe never. Like that might have been the only thing I actually mm-hmm. quit. Well, that and the bass guitar. I quit the bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked. I suck at musical instruments. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the only two things I think I've ever quit, mm-hmm. really. Um, and um, it didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I quit, I was going to try to make something happen. Yeah, and I I also wanted to honor my obligation. I wasn't like I said I wasn't trying to skate mm-hmm. out on anything mm-hmm. or uh, you know, so I wanted to f- commit you know fulfill my commitment which I did, and then I said I'm moving and uh, the the chair the ch- chief of staff mm-hmm. for the Second Marine Air Wing at the time I, I had been promoted to captain and so he came in and was like so what's going on Captain Riggle, why aren't you uh, what do you why are you going yeah you know, why are you leaving us basically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like telling everybody I was going to go try to be a comedian or whatever, because <laughs> I'd be the same as me telling you right now, I'm quitting comedy to become a rapper.
0: Yeah. And, you know, kind of people would look at me. Kind yeah, of ridicule.
1: Exactly. And people look at you like, OK, good luck with that, you know. And uh, so I just didn't want anybody. I didn't. I, people's judgments suck and I mm-hmm. get tired of it. So I just don't engage people with that. So I told him, you know, I, I'm moving to Chicago, pursuing other things. You know, I just left to vague or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, well, listen, you know, what would it take for you to stay in? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, because, you know, my plan was to move to Chicago and wait tables yeah. or bartend yeah. and do improv at night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought about it for a night and I was like, you know, if I moved to LA or New York, because we have offices there
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know i could have i could still be a captain get captain pay (laughs) you know and and still do comedy at night yeah there's no you know no reason nothing would stop me so i said if you can give me to new york or los angeles i would i'll give you three more years i'll extend (laughs) i won't augment but i'll extend yeah next morning he called my bluff gave me orders to new york city wow so i was like all right i'm in So here we go. So I (laughs) I moved to New York. I moved into an apartment sight unseen. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a little 350 square foot studio apartment. Um, It was big enough for my bed and my couch and a TV and a coffee table. But the coffee table had to be moved almost (laughs) by the, I had to lean it up on the door to pull out the couch. Yeah. Uh, But I did have a bed um, and a bathroom and a little sink and It was ridiculous. And it was it was it was like crazy money at the yeah. time, too, you know, because yeah. it was in Manhattan mm-hmm. um, And I moved up there and That's it. I started uh, I, I, I got to New York and I Started working at the Marine office, you know 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, well, let's figure this out. You came here to do comedy. Where do we begin? And I found a stand-up club on the Upper East Side called the Comic Strip Live, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a guy there, I'm going to screw up his name, J, J.B. or J.D. Sweeney, something mm-hmm. like that, and he would teach classes. And,
0: and these were stand-up classes? Yeah, or, stand-up yeah.
1: classes. Because, I mean, I'm talking, I start, I'm i starting at yeah. zero. You don't, don't
0: know what UCB is at this point.
1: They they weren't there. No, oh, they weren't there yet. Um well they they might have been there they might have just gotten just started, there yeah. yeah and um so i go in and I'm, i don't know where to begin i'm just guessing here mm-hmm. so i went in and i said i'm here to learn comedy you know here to try <laughs> sir sign up give me your money here we're going to meet every you know monday at this time and and write your write out your material so i'm like i don't know what to write and so i'm <laughs> i'm i don't even know how to craft a joke i don't know yeah. how to And I came up loving Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy and Bill Cosby, they were the best storytellers. Mm -hmm. I liked their comedy because it was a story. It wasn't...
0: Punch lines. It wasn't
1: wasn't three jokes per minute, set Mm -hmm. up punch, set up punch, set up punch. And they took you on this wonderful journey. They did voices. They did characters. They they really painted a picture. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was the way stand-up should be. Mm -hmm. So I get in there and... (laughs) He's going, What do you got? What do you got? And I'm like, Oh, something about dog shit. You know, and he's like, Okay, <laughs> whatever. And uh, and I was like, Well, it's funnier when he, if I tell the story, you know, and he's like, Well, try it. So then I tried, it did, didn't work. Still not funny. Still not funny. <laughs> and he's like, Here's what we do. We do three jokes per minute. Yeah. Set a punch, set a punch, <laughs> set a punch. And I was like, I don't even understand what that means. I don't even know. So I struggled all through the the class. Yeah. You know, but I'm not an idiot, so I can try. You know, I can try. So I was trying, but I hated what I was doing. I hated. It was like an uncomfortable shirt. Mm-hmm. And then came show night. You know, the big show mm-hmm. night where you get to get up on stage um, at f- at, and do five minutes. Yeah. And of course, you know, they expect you to bring people. Well, fuck that. I'm not bringing anybody.
0: <laughs> bring all your marine buddies. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm not bringing to anybody to see this train wreck. <laughs> so I was like, oh, sure, sure. Well, I didn't bring anybody, but I went up there and my adrenaline was going so hard. I could feel the pulse in my neck. It was just, uh, 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 uh. and and I'm not being dramatic. I'm not mm-hmm. melodramatic. I, I was getting not lightheaded, but I, it, I, there was a buzz in my yeah. head and my, and I couldn't feel my fingertips. It was just like this <laughs> adrenaline rush yeah. of a, of a, of a massive proportion. It was like a car wreck type mm-hmm. adrenaline rush. And I, and they called my name and I was so, I walk. I remember walking up on stage and trying to be confident, but not feeling it. And then, um, I remember saying some things and maybe getting a laugh and maybe not, but I didn't care. Cause I wasn't even, I didn't even care beyond two feet in front of my face and thank God they videotape. Yes. This is how long ago it was. <laughs> they videotape your set and yeah. then, then when you leave, you get the videotape or, mm-hmm. you know, So I walked off the stage and I thought that was the worst experience I ever had. It was so bad and I hated it. And I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. I really did. I thought, why did I stop flying? You know, why Mm. did I, I could have had this whole other, this
0: low adrenaline job, like flying, (laughs) (laughs) like flying, (laughs) flying
1: flying Cobra helicopters. But I was, I don't know. It's just something. It's a different type of vulnerability. It's a different type of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And, so I walk off the stage. He gives me the tape. I go immediately leave and drink and mm-hmm. then go back to my apartment. And then I put the tape in, and it wasn't that bad. Like, I, <laughs> like I didn't do badly, you know? Was it
0: hard? To, was that decision to watch it hard? Yes. Yeah.
1: But that's why I had the beers <laughs> yeah. before I went home. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, it wasn't as bad as I remember. Yeah. Like, there's there's some laughs. and mm-hmm. people are having fun. And I, I looked way more comfortable than I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I was faking it yeah. beautifully. Yeah. And I thought, well, that wasn't terrible. But I realized that was so draining and so painful and so scary and so vulnerable. I'd never been that way Mm. before. I thought, I can't do that again. I don't want to do that again. I hated it. Mm. And that's why I I really was in despair because I thought I made a massive mistake. And then, um, a friend of mine who has a a friend like through, through three different friends, um, this friend said, You need to call, you need to call this guy um and talk to him. Cause I think he might be able to give you some perspective or, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, who is it? You know, and they're like, it's Dave Kechner. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I know. He's on SNL right now, isn't he? Like, yeah, yeah. But he just got let go. Hmm. Um, but yes, that's who we're talking about. So I was like, Oh, great, you know, let me talk to him. So Dave was gracious enough because we were kind of from the same hometown. We're very Mm -hmm. close. Um, And so he was very gracious. And I got on the phone with him and he was like, all right, talk to me. What are you doing? And I said, well, here's what I just did. No, 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 didn't explain everything. He goes, okay, all right. Well, I've got some friends from Chicago who just moved out here last summer. And they are some of the best improvisers, I think in America, they're, they're bound to go do big things. You ought to go check out their ass Cat show on Sunday night. So I said, Oh, okay. He goes, when you get done, go up to Matt Walsh and tell him Dave Kechner sent you and ask him about classes. I said, okay. And I said, all right, thanks, man. I really appreciate your time. And you know, he was gracious and gave me some words of encouragement, which is always nice. And then And that was it. So I I went down, I I had met a guy. I was playing rugby uh, in New York because I didn't know anybody. I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. And so I walked around my neighborhood. I found my Christi's, my my shop, Mm -hmm. you know, my for my supermarket. I found a laundromat and I found a bar called Ship of Fools on the Upper East Side. And that was the rugby bar. But I was like, this is a great sports bar. This is where I'm going to watch games (laughs) and, and, you know, and it turned out to be the rugby bar. So then the bartender asked me to play rugby, and I said, "Sure." I don't have any friends, and all of a sudden I had friends. <laughs> so I grabbed one of the guys from the rugby team, and I said, "Well, come with me. I'm going to go see this show down at, uh, you know, down in this old black box theater. You yeah. know, it was at Solo Arts. Yeah. It was this c- condemned building. It was awful."
0: And that was UCB. And
1: that was UCB. And so I went down. And for those of you who don't know, the, the UCB at the time consisted of Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, Ian Roberts, and Amy Poehler. And with special guest friends, uh, Horatio Sands, mm-hmm. who used to play with them uh, in Chicago, and then all the writers uh, yeah. for, uh, for Conan, all the writers for mm-hmm. SNL, yeah. Adam McKay. The, Adam McKay. I mean, it, it was just a, a murderer's row of great comedy talent uh, and improvisers. And so I went to their ASCAT show. And I was blown away. I was like, they're making this up. (laughs) This is just coming to them. And how are they playing so well together? And how do they know? Like, they're they're making great moves. They're hilarious. They're doing characters. They're doing Mm everything. I was like, this is genius. I was so impressed with what I saw that I immediately went up to Walsh after the show. And I said, hi, I'm uh, Robert, Gull. I'm uh, friends with Dave Kegner and he said, I should come say hi to you. And, and Walsh goes, oh yeah, Dave said you'd be coming by. Oh, and I was like, that's oh. nice. <laughs> I was like, so, oh, Dave's the best. And I was like, uh, where do I sign up? And he goes, he goes right here. Yeah. And he gave me the sheet. I signed up that night. I said, I want classes. And at the time, um, the only people teaching classes were the actual, actual for really? uh, so my, so I wanted to learn from all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I took all, they only taught three levels, level so, yeah. one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And I took all three levels. Twice,
0: so you could get a, a so them. So, yeah. so I so I had
1: Amy Polar for a teacher. I had Ian Roberts. I had Walsh. Mm-hmm. I had Besser, and I had them all mix and match. That's and incredible. I, yeah, so I had like Polar for one and three. Yeah, and I had uh, um, uh, Ian Roberts for one and two. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you just kind of mix it. And, and I learned from some of the absolute mm-hmm. best. And, and I was so grateful to have that opportunity to study with them and learn from them. Um, and then eventually, I got put on a house team. Mm-hmm. And started doing shows with uh, Paul Shear, uh, Rob Hubel, Chad Carter, Owen Burke, um, uh, Danielle uh, Schneider, uh, Donna Feinglass, Jackie Clark, um, Jack McBrayer. You know, like mm-hmm. just this unbelievable group of of wonderful improvisers, wonderful comedians and we formed a team mm-hmm. and we put on sketch shows we, we were writing sketches all the time we'd put on special sketch shows we would do improv shows we we eventually got you know the saturday night show with the swarm and you know we so we had this wonderful run you know for 7 years before no I, before i got an opportunity to do
0: snl coming up Rob opens up about his one and only, quote, dysfunctional season at Saturday Night Live. Yeah, so I mean, SNL, I think you you have a unique um, situation where SNL was kind of your first uh, showbiz gig in some ways, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I literally was called back to active duty after 9-11. And uh, so I got back at the end of 2002, right at the beginning of 2003, Mm -hmm. and was on SNL in in 2004. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was rapid (laughs) pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, But I had been doing improv since 97. So Mm -hmm. 97 to, to 2004, you know, I'm doing I'm doing shows every weekend. I'm doing I'm doing lights and tech for mm-hmm. other people's shows during yeah. the middle of the week. So you
0: had a lot of experience but not necessarily TV uh Oh yeah. TV and I, and I
1: couldn't commit to too much either cuz I was on the Marines still, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's not was like Was that
0: even... not the case so by 2004? I was out. You were out.
1: Well, I was out of active duty. Mm-hmm. I was in the reserves mm-hmm. at that point.
0: So they still you still can get I could still called get called back. back. Yeah.
1: yeah, which is what happened in 2001. I got called mm-hmm. back. I was right. in the reserves at that point. Mm-hmm. Cuz I, I left active duty in 2000. Yeah. So...
0: Was that an issue? I mean, when you were auditioning for SNL, that they did they know that you were you know could be could be called away because they have pretty strict uh, contracts at SNL. Too. They
1: do have strict contracts at SNL, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I didn't I didn't tell them and they yeah. didn't ask. So
0: <laughs> they didn't think to ask. that. No, probably.
1: that's probably something they haven't yeah, asked many yeah. of their
0: <laughs> people. Um, so I know there's kind of an interesting story about your audition. Um, you were you auditioned with uh, Rob Hubel at that time, or, not with or, him or, or at the same time. We,
1: uh, we were asked to audition uh, not as a team mm-hmm. but individually yeah now rob and i had done a two-man show together mm-hmm. which we took to the aspen comedy festival and you know it helped us get agents mm-hmm. and you know it was it was a great show and it had a long run it was called kung fu grip and i'm still very proud of it yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, no we were not asked to audition together it was mm-hmm. individually mm-hmm. so that's that's how it that
0: yeah. went down. and what was that experience like for you uh, that that audition that must have been a big deal
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a dream of a lifetime. You know, I mean, I've been watching SNL since, uh, God, when did I, I I can, well, I didn't really see the first group. I saw reruns or Mm -hmm. whatever, but Eddie Murphy in 81, I remember seeing, Mm -hmm. um, especially with his James Brown celebrity hot tub. You know, those are some of the classic sketches Mm -hmm. of all time. Yeah, And, um, and Velvet Jones and just all these great characters he used to do. But anyway, mr. Robinson's neighborhood I remember, you know, that was my first cast because mm-hmm. here's the thing about SNL SNL has it's it's okay you know, you get new cast all mm-hmm. the time and Every generation kind of has their cast or, or not even generation But you know, I remember when I was in junior high. I watched I watched it constantly mm-hmm. and then you watch a little bit in high school, and you get away from it maybe mm-hmm. a little for a couple of years, and you check back in when they got a new cast when you're in college, mm-hmm. and then your first couple of years out of college, yeah. and so there's always this you're always looking at it going, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, what? I don't, I don't even like his face, yeah. and then it turns out, give him, give him two years, and you're like, I love this guy. Yeah, he's the best.
0: Well, that's what Will Ferrell always talks about that people, you know, he the reviews were like he was the annoying new guy on yeah. SNL. <laughs> there you go,
1: that's the, and that's how it works because you you have a group of people that you trust. Mm-hmm. And then they introduce new people and mm-hmm. you're like, fuck, screw this guy. You mm-hmm. know, why do they, oh, Why are they messing with it? You know, I like the, Oh, oh God. And then, of course, the first couple sketches they have you doing, you're not great in them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and you don't get a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. You don't get a lot of jokes because they're saved for, you know, your yeah. A players or whatever. And so it's hard in the beginning. It's mm-hmm. super hard.
0: Yeah. Did you feel uh, comfortable there? Uh- nope. Nobody ever? Ever,
1: no, <laughs> nobody does. Nobody does. I, I talked to, I won't mention any names, but I talked to many senior cast members, mm-hmm. many. Um, and they said every year they assumed they were not coming back mm-hmm. every single year. And, I, and one of the ladies, I was like, you've been on for six years. And she goes, yeah, yeah. she goes, but I, they hate me and they're going to, they're trying to get rid of me. And I'm yeah. like, you've been on for six years. You're like, you're fine. You yeah. know? And other guys would be like, "Yeah, I, I'm, I just assume every year this is my last."
0: Yeah, and I'm mean, like,
1: "Wow, that's a tough way to go through." Do you think
0: they do that on purpose? I mean, do you yeah, think they, yeah, of course, just to kind of keep you keep you hungry.
1: It's it's a very listen. I'm not. I don't want to bash on it yeah. because I'm always grateful mm-hmm. that I got the dream
0: mm-hmm.
1: come true to be on that show. So I, I I'm not one to bash on it, but it is not. I wouldn't say it's not dysfunctional <laughs>
0: <laughs> you wouldn't say it's not dysfunctional um yeah i mean you you were there for for one season yeah. um how did you so i mean did you spend the whole season thinking you were not going to go beyond that or what, what no, was your feeling well
1: the, it was such a weird i had a very special circumstance
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the year i was hired i was the only guy hired yeah
0: it was they kind of kept all the same cast and added you Exactly. And so who, and someone so left, right, Jimmy Fallon. The left, cast I think?
1: was, I think it was. yeah, there was the cast was massive. The cast was fourteen, and I made fifteen. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest cast they've ever had. Yeah. And so I was this this one guy. Mm-hmm. Well, normally, like, I talked to Will Farrell about it, and he's like, The year they hired me, they hired six of us.
0: Yeah, so at least you have someone in it with you.
1: Well, not only that, but you make, and he goes, And there's only 12 on our cast. Mm-hmm. So we made up, the rookies made up yeah. half the cast. He goes, Guess what? We got in every week. Yeah. We got our sketches on the air. We got, mm-hmm. you know, we got our FaceTime. We got, we got out because they didn't have any choice. Mm-hmm. Well, well f- 15 people on the cast. I'm the only new guy.
0: Mm.
1: Well, you know, Daryl Hammond's getting his mm-hmm. Tina Fey Amy's getting hers Maya Rudolph's getting hers Will Forte mm-hmm. go down the list They're all getting their time. So for with that in you know that the fact that I didn't know any of the writers hardly I didn't mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew Amy I knew mm-hmm. some of these other folks, but I didn't know the bulk of these folks yeah. I'm going in there and I I'm drinking out of a fire. This is the first showbiz gig I ever got mm-hmm. So it's overwhelming to begin with yeah and Plus, it's
0: like the most overwhelming showbiz game. Absolutely, that you
1: can get. <laughs> it's the it's the unbelievable pace and pressure yeah. and and uh, you know I got to a point. Well, uh, I got to a point where I didn't even know what was funny anymore by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the season. But what happened was, it was an election year. This mm-hmm. was explained to me by one of the producers, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. It was an election it was year. Two thousand four. Right? Yeah, it yeah. was Kerry Bush, mm-hmm. and no one cared about that election. Yeah. Okay. So the ratings normally. Saturday Night Live gets this huge yeah. ratings bounce. It's like the
0: only election year that didn't get that right that bounce.
1: So it normally gets a big bounce, but this year it didn't. Mm-hmm. So all the executives at NBC panic. Mm-hmm. They all go, Oh God, we didn't get our big bump. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that means something's flawed, something's wrong. It's not has nothing to do with the American people didn't care about that election. Mm-hmm. It just whatever, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So NBC decides to clear house. And last one in, first one out. Mm-hmm. I was I got swept up in that. So I never I and I won't have a pity party, but I wish I would have had another season because I would have I had much more confidence, I think, and Mm -hmm. I would have been able to come in and be more myself because I tried to please 20 masters. Mm -hmm. And when you try to do that, you please no one. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't I did some things really well. And I did some things that I would I wouldn't have done in the second season. But we'll never know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what, what would you not have done in the second? Or How do you think you would have changed? I
1: would have uh, um, I would have focused more probably on one sketch or two sketches. I would write five sketches a week, mm-hmm. you know, trying just to shotgun effect. Mm-hmm. And I, I would instead, I would be more uh, laser focused. And I would say, OK, I'm going to do this sketch and this character. I'm going to make it five pages of funny. Mm hmm. And I'm going to work very specifically with these people and do things like that. And, and, and I would have had more confidence in my approach mm. and I would have had just I, I would have I wouldn't have been drinking out of the fire hose mm. so much. I would have been able to process things.
0: Are there any moments that stand out for you over that uh, over that year, over that season, whether it's with certain hosts or musical guests or um, sort of what, what do you when you look back on it? What do you, what stands out?
1: Well, there's a, there was a, so many cool opportunities. I, I got to do scenes with Robert De Niro. I got to do scenes with my Will Ferrell, who's my comedy hero. I got to have really great conversations mm-hmm. with some of the most amazing people. You uh, 2 came and played, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, and that's such a small, intimate space, yeah. you know. And then... Um, and then after the show ended, they played just for the audience, just for us. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was there the night. My second show was the night Ashley Simpson walked oh, off yeah. stage. That's a
0: big. That's a big one.
1: Um, and oh. she walked right by. Uh, I was standing next to Leo Allen, who's a wonderful mm-hmm. comedian, right comic, and great, great writer. Yeah. yeah. And and <laughs> I think Leo had had a drink in the end. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, for me the show was over because my you know, it was the second song. There, yeah. was, there wasn't anything, anything after else. that yeah, yeah, after that I was clean. So I'm just kind of stand there with Leo. And we're watching and you know mm. watching like anything else. Yeah. and she did that little hoedown. Yeah, you know, she step. starts dancing Yeah, and she, started, she was lip-syncing and, and then, then she went off the yeah. stage Yeah, and she came running by us. I mean mm-hmm. like brushed shoulders with mm-hmm. me as she ran off and and I remember looking at Leo going does she know this is live so Like I panicked I was like, I don't think she knows this is live. This is live Did she know this is live and he was like, dude, I've never seen anything like this And I was like, oh my god, what just happened? Yeah, and it was you know, it was an unfortunate thing I think it was the drummer had started playing the wrong song oh, yeah. which set off uh, a click track oh. And it started yeah. there started it the wrong a lot song of a, lot of a lot of problems there, but in all fairness She got such a bad deal Because I listened to her sing all week. She Mm was awesome. Yeah, And then her voice, she got sick. Mm -hmm. And her voice gave way. And so at dress rehearsal, she's like, "Ah, ah, ah, ah." you know, she could barely get it out. And I was like, oh, my God. And so they're talking about canceling and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And so I understand why they had click tracks Mm -hmm. and things like that. But it all got screwed up because it was last minute.
0: Yeah. And it's live. And and it's live.
1: Exactly. And so everybody pounced on her. And I thought, don't. You know, yeah. it's unfair. Mm-hmm. It's really unfair because she can sing. She, you know, mm-hmm. she did a fine job yeah. uh, and she was gutting it out so that she, the show could go on. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. I just got mad. Everybody's, so, everybody's just full of hate. It's sad. Yeah.
0: yeah. So how, how did you kind of find out that you weren't going to be coming back? And I know, I know there's lots of stories about people sort of either not finding out until it's in the press or, um, yeah, or I, that kind um, of thing. So what, I
1: definitely was the last to know. <laughs> I was definitely the last to know yeah. because I, – and I didn't even realize it. I had – just so sad. I got a call. I remember I got a call from Amy Poehler the day before I found out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was like, wriggle – and I was like, what's up? <laughs> and, and she goes, How's everything going? And I was like, it's awesome. I've been working out all summer, you know, losing weight. I've been working on some characters. And I think she was like, okay, Ooh, he doesn't know. Yeah. And she goes, okay, cool. We'll just check in on you. Say hi. <laughs> I was like, cool. You know, hey, all right. And then the next day mm-hmm. I get a phone call from my agent mm-hmm. saying, Yeah, they're not, they don't, you're not gonna, they're not gonna extend your contract. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And it, did, it still didn't even dawn. It was like a yeah. month later that I went,
0: oh, Amy knew. Yeah.
1: She knew before I did. That's why she was calling yeah.
0: me. Have you talked to her about that? Uh, no, I, I don't want to embarrass her or <laughs> anything, you
1: know, but I, uh, it became, became clear to me. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then, yeah, I was, I remember I was at my parents' house, Um. or they have a lake house. Mm-hmm. Down, and so I was at the lake house and I had my wife and my brand new baby daughter and, I had about a 15 minute pity party Mm -hmm. where I felt really bad and really sad for myself. And Oh God. And I was, you know, I was embarrassed and I was Mm -hmm. all these things and, and it really hurt. I'm not going to lie. It hurt and it burned and I was sad and crushed and, and, and then I realized as I had to go change my daughter's diaper, I was like, I'm still responsible for Mm -hmm. providing for this family. So I got to, I got to suck it up Mm -hmm. and find a new job. Yeah. And, and that's just it. And it, that was, I think the first time I got a real taste of, Oh, show business is cold. Mm -hmm. It's unforgiving. Um, and it's, uh, there's no guarantees,
0: yeah. you
1: know, you, you, I, I was foolish enough to need because it was my first job. I was like SNL. Oh, cool. I do this for several mm-hmm. years and then I go do, you know, I can go do yeah. other things. Well, that's over now. What are you yeah. going to do?
0: Starting you, from scratch. Exactly. So
1: all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta find a new job. I gotta find it. And that's when I learned there's no finish line in show business. Mm-hmm. Never. There's yeah. never a time when you get to say, and I'm good. Yeah. I nailed it, um happy forever. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. The best you can hope for is a long run on a good show. Yeah. Or several hit movies. Mm-hmm. But even that runs out after a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so hard. So I like I'm looking at Modern Family. Modern Family, those guys have been doing the show for ten years and it's yeah. one of the best shows on television. Mm-hmm. It's so enjoyable. But it's going to end. Yeah. And when it does, you know, the best they can hope for is to find another gig that is half as good. Yeah. Um, It's very rare that lightning strikes twice. You know, so it's show business not. it's It's
0: also very rare that people walk away. You know, some of these modern family people could probably walk away from. Working. Oh, and, and go on to great things. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm saying and and do something else, or you know. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's something about this business that makes people you know continually want to keep doing it for as long as they possibly can. Well, yeah, I agree. I think acting, not for money necessarily. Is my yeah. yeah, well,
1: acting uh, it, it gets in your bones, it gets in your blood, you know, and and then people start getting all weird and go. It's about the craft and the mm-hmm. art. Yeah, and, and and listen, it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, without being melodramatic or touchy feely or squishy about it. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you have to respect it. I do respect it. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a time when I, I don't know, I, well, I got, um, I had a very famous actor, you know, kind of jump me about it because I was, I was saying that. I was like, oh, I got to go do this thing. The, the, mm-hmm. the. And he goes, he goes, don't, don't devalue what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like, don't do that. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, I just got, I just got my hand slapped <laughs> and he was right because yeah. I was, I was sitting there kind of, Making light of it or treating it like it was this thing that a movie
0: you know, or a it was a movie, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, and I was like, yeah, you I need to honor this more and mm-hmm. be more professional about it and and take it to heart. And so then I started doing that, and it it has made a difference. Yeah.
0: Um It's but, also that thing of if you had, had to do that movie twenty years earlier, you would have been thrilled, probably. <laughs> absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, I never want to be ungrateful, never ungrateful because I, I know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. I know how, I know how hard it is to be a working actor or just to get an opportunity.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I know people out here who've been out here for 15 years who haven't even gotten an opportunity yet
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it's not because they don't have talent. It's just because they, for whatever reason they don't, it's not the right look. It's the most subjective business in the world. Totally. You're, you're never going to get past that. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a producer or a director who doesn't like your face. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. They like that guy's face. That guy doesn't have the talent you do, Mm -hmm. but that guy's face is for whatever reason what the director envisioned. Yeah. Or what the producers want. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they're pretty. It doesn't mean they're beautiful. (laughs) It just means it's the face they wanted. Yeah. And there's you can't do anything about that. Yeah. You know? And and so when you're when you're dealing in a subjective business, it's really hard sometimes because you know you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know you can do the work and you know you can crush the role and you know you can but you're just not allowed yeah. to do it. Yeah. And and you know, all you can do is put your head down and go back to work and go back to work. And if you don't have a thick skin, you shouldn't be in this business because mm-hmm. they're going to beat the hell out of you. Yeah. You're gonna, your emotions, your pride, your self-esteem,
0: it's all going to take a lashing. That's just the way it is. Coming up, Rob reveals how getting hired on The Daily Show may have literally saved his life. So the year after uh, SNL, you got your next big audition for The Daily Show. Yes. Um, And so, and I think they were, I know you've talked about how there was kind of even higher stakes for that one because you were kind of debating whether you were going to. I was out out of of money. Yeah.
1: I was, I was completely out of money and um, I was um, very seriously considering going back on active duty. We were in the Mm -hmm. middle of a war. Mm -hmm. Uh, They needed people.
0: This is 2006. Um, this is 2006. Uh, few years into the Iraq War. Yeah,
1: and it's it's full blown. Yeah, at this point, and I'm like I, you know, all I had to do was put my hand in the air, and they'd mm-hmm. pick me up in a mm-hmm. second, and mm-hmm. I'd go back on active duty. I, I was still a captain at the time. I, you know, I could make good money. I could provide for my family. I could do all kinds of things. You know, so I was like, all right, you know, I, I. But we were we were we were out of money. Yeah, and um, so if I didn't get, and no one knows this, you know, Mm -hmm. especially the daily show, I'm not telling anybody, I'm not advertising this because they don't want to hear that. And they don't want to hear it. I don't want their pity. Mm -hmm. So, um, but my wife and I knew, Mm -hmm. and so I was, uh, my back was against the wall. And if I hadn't gotten the the daily show, you know, about a week later, two weeks later, I probably would have had to go back and and go back on active duty
0: yeah that, i mean that makes the audition process uh yeah. so much crazier than than most for most people <laughs> yeah
1: the window it takes pressure and then it puts pressure on top of pressure yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so how did you handle that
1: deep breathing exercises <laughs> and trying to relax you, you, mm-hmm. uh, bill murray has a great quote about whatever you do in life doesn't matter golf sex comedy whatever it is you do in life conversations mm-hmm. you're always going to be better when you're relaxed you do everything better relaxed yeah so you got to get <laughs> relaxed so i was trying to relax mm-hmm. under all that pressure which is not easy to yeah. do and um i went in and and, and gave it my best mm-hmm. you know just the old college try if you will Gave him my best effort and I thought I had screwed it up. I even called my wife and apologized and but I promised her I said, "Hey, listen. I'm this problem probably not going to go our way, but we're going to be fine. I yeah. don't want you to worry." Yeah. Like I w- This
0: is reminiscent of the first uh, stand-up uh, performance, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, almost. Maybe maybe wasn't as bad as you as you thought it was. Yeah, it wasn't as
1: bad, but it wasn't it wasn't my I didn't feel like I had shown them mm-hmm. all my colors or yeah. sh- shown them what I can really do. Because, again, I was so nervous and tight and, you know, and I'm trying to relax, but you, can't, you can only relax so much. Mm-hmm. And I called her and I said, listen, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't think it went well, but we're not going to starve. I promise, you know, you and the baby are going to be fine. We're going to be OK. Don't just don't worry. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be OK. And then they came in and told me I got the job. And that was uh, that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Rob, you're a member of the Marine Corps. Uh, You've been through the training the CIA director mentioned. Uh, Does the Marine Corps boot camp shock the conscience? It's a world of (laughs) John. The things I've seen, they make Satan crap his pants. Really? No, I'm just screwing with you. (laughs)
0: So how did how did that experience at the Daily Show kind of compare to your experience at SNL cuz they're very different shows mm. um and you know very different styles but also cultures I mean what was how did you feel about it compared to being at SNL
1: Um I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um because what the what the 75 cast was to the baby boomers
0: Mhm.
1: Our cast was in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, or what the Daily Show—let me yeah. put it that way—the Daily Show was to the next generation.
0: Yeah. So John Stewart was hosting, and who else was there with you at that time? John,
1: John Oliver and I shared an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Jones, Sam B, Osif, uh, Monvi, and I think Dan Bakadal was there for one year. That
0: I was there, and. Hope I'm not yeah, I mean, it's there. incredible. These these people who have been on that show, you know, being they were everyone was so great at the time. Mm-hmm. And what you've all gone on to do is so is so amazing, too. Yeah. You know, especially thinking about John Oliver and Samantha Bee and how they've kind of just taken what they what they did there to, to uh, do heights.
1: Absolutely. They're amazing. And my time, you know, John Oliver is one who got me to go back and do stand up. Oh, yeah. And I got him to go do improv. <laughs> I got no, him. Did? Yeah, I got him to come down and do monologues for Cat. And then he's like, "All right, now you got to come with me and do stand up." And I was like, "Oh <laughs> God, don't make me do it!" But he did, and then I ended up building, a, a, you know, an hour long set. Yeah, just just hanging out with him because I, I, I was a geographical bachelor, you know. Because mm-hmm. even though it was the Daily Show, they still pay you cable money. Yeah, you're not getting. We weren't getting paid anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting paid enough to uh, uh, send money home and yeah, keep a you were small studio from
0: uh, from LA. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. I couldn't
1: afford to move everybody back east. Um, So and it's weird how they do it. You know, you get six months probation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to see if they like you. And then you get another six months. So your first year is all kind of this half year probation. And then they tell you, yeah, we're going to extend you. Yeah, we're we're not. Mm -hmm. So I was not going to move everybody out until I knew. Well, then. And they still didn't pay us enough money, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was there for three years. And then finally I was just like, I got to go home. I've been (laughs) away from my family too long. And John Stewart was great. He was so gracious about that because he was like, I don't know how you stayed this long, dude. (laughs) He goes, no problem. He goes, will you stay through the election? I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I did. That was the 08 election. Yep. Yep. And I stayed through the election and and we had great times. We went and covered the DNC and the RNC, Mm -hmm. um, we did great shows from the road we we just had a blast and yeah. and uh, it was a great great time and i have no regrets and i got to be rob riggle you know when you're when you're on snl yeah. you know i was toby keith i was howard <laughs> dean i was leviticus i was all these things and yeah. people were like uh, who's this guy who knows man? your name yeah, yeah who's this jerk mm-hmm. but for 3 years i got to be rob riggle mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, Did you feel like you were able to bring you know yourself to the show in in that way? And as was, best was I could. It your, was it your point of view that was being? Uh, no,
1: no, because you can play it for laughs. Mm-hmm. You know, it is at the end of the day a comedy show. Yeah. You know, I know everybody wanted to turn it into this political beacon, mm-hmm. but it's a comedy show yeah. at the end of the day, and we had to make we had to make comedy. Mm-hmm. So that's I always just try to focus on that.
0: Yeah, it is interesting how Jon Stewart has kind of not fully walked away from comedy but nearly fully um and you know every time we see him now he's <clears throat> testifying on capitol hill for the you know nine eleven first first responders and i was so
1: proud of him when he did that he did such a eloquent um he did that in a very articulate way yeah and he did a a wonderful job of advocating uh, for those first responders of yeah. which i was actually one of them oh yeah um yeah i was down on the rubble piles on. I got my orders on September 11th because my reserve mm-hmm. unit was in Manhattan. Yeah, that's all. So nice that was thing.
0: kind of the first uh, <clears throat> first thing Because I know you deployed to Afghanistan not long after that, but it, but you were actually you know doing stuff in in New York before yeah. then.
1: I was working on the rubble piles. and the bucket Brigades. Yeah, um, moving rubble by hand. Um, but but going back to John, yeah, you got to remember, you know, John's been doing comedy his whole life. Mm-hmm. He's been doing stand up his whole life, and that show was forty five weeks a year, and you got to feed the beast every day. Mm-hmm. You got to come up yeah. with it. And John was the clearinghouse, so he had writers, but he'd get out there and do a dress rehearsal, and would be like, "Go!" We'd all go back into his office, and he'd put the, you know the, the script up on the on the wall, and people would go to work on it, you know. And if you were in the show that day, you sat in there too, and you you know, and everybody's working on the words and. You know, he he did that every day, mm-hmm. every week. He was the captain of the ship, and he was responsible for everything. And and he, I think he won an Emmy, what, 15 Emmys or yeah, something, something crazy. Like so, that. so it just shows you the 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 unbelievably high standard mm-hmm. that he had, the work ethic that he had. Of course, the man's burnout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, he's tired. Of course, he's fatigued. He needed a break, and yeah. I'm glad he's taking it. And I'm, I hope he's healing his soul, and I hope yeah. he's healing his his uh, his mind and He'll be back when, mm-hmm. when he's ready.
0: Yeah. After I said nobody walks away from show business, so he might be, <laughs> he could be an exception, but I, I hope he comes back and, and comes back to comedy yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when you, so you made that decision to leave the show and that must've been a little scary as well at that point, cause you're going kind of back out into the, into the wilderness, not yeah. knowing what, what would come next. Absolutely. Um, so but I also you, was,
1: I was, I, I, my family mattered more. Yeah. So I was happy. I was happy with the decision, mm-hmm. but it's also scary. Um, I think people never want to give up what they have for something that's potentially out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My advice to you is read a book called Who Moved My Cheese mm-hmm. um, and, and understand that uh, change is n- never going to stop. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be changing. The better you get at it, the sooner you get good at change, uh, the better your life's going to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The people that resist change are going to have friction their whole life because they're trying to go against the grain. Yeah. Things change. Mm-hmm. Things change.
0: So in terms of right now, I mean, you're turning 50 next year, I believe. I don't, um, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, is, I think that, I, is that wrong? I think wrong? I'm turning that, 40. Oh.
1: Something, I don't <laughs> IMDB. Did you get that from uh, Wikipedia? Because they like to lie. Yeah, there's a, a lot of lies
0: on there. <laughs> uh, so what are you, how are you, you know, feeling about this next stage of your career and, and what you kind of want to accomplish uh? Yeah.
1: I, listen, I'll stay in front of the camera as long as someone will have me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I still love comedy. I still love acting. I'm going to do it again as long as somebody will have me. But I'm definitely getting into producing more. I've been mm-hmm. producing a lot more shows. Um, I produced, uh, co-produced. I'm, I'm always producing with other people. Um, but uh, produced with. Um, Rob Riggle Ski Master Academy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm producing this discovery show that I'm doing right now. I helped produce Shark Week. Um, And uh, so, yes, I'm building my producer side as well Mm -hmm. and my directing side as well, because if the day ever comes where they don't want me in front of the camera, (laughs) then I'd like to just move behind it because I still feel like I have a lot of of insight, a lot of uh, ideas. I've been on sets now for going on 15 years, mm-hmm. so I've 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 got a pretty good idea of how things should work, how things could work, and uh, I've still got a lot to contribute uh, yeah. to entertainment. I hope.
0: Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, what I want to do is uh, a little bit of a, a speed round, going through some of the stuff that you, because you've done so much, so many amazing things that we haven't talked about yet, and just to get kind of your, if there's one story or memory that kind of jumps out from from that each thing. Okay, I'll try. So uh, in 2006, I think this was between SNL and The Daily Show, uh, you appeared on The Office. Yes. Um, so what, what do you remember from that experience?
1: Um, I remember being really happy because uh, we were on a boat mm-hmm. and we were sailed out of uh, Long Beach, but we filmed on the boat. We had to be out on the water.
0: The whole shoot was on the boat, so
1: nobody got to go back to their dressing rooms. No, like in between shots Mm -hmm. while they were doing resets and stuff, we all just sat in the booths and talked and Mm -hmm. hung out. Yeah. So I was sitting there talking with John Krasinski and Amy Adams, and you know all these Mm -hmm. amazing people that I just really she was a
0: guest star on that episode. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I just remember thinking so highly of all these actors,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, and then having time to just sit and talk to them because normally. People go to crafty. People go to their dressing rooms. People kind of break away. But when you're on a boat, you know, a little cruise, a dinner cruise boat like that, mm-hmm. there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And so and we just, we all just sat there and talked. So I was very lucky in that sense. I remember enjoying, like, oh, this is cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so uh, on the Daily Show, you went to Iraq uh, to film for for the Daily Show. So what what stands out from from that experience for you?
1: That was truly. Amazing it was at the actual actual height of the violence in the war in Iraq. It was the summer of 2007 mm-hmm. and um, what I loved was we we filed reports from Iraq mm-hmm. but we entertained the troops everywhere we mm-hmm. went yeah and I took uh, Rob Hubel, Paul Shear, oh, Horatio wow. Sands <laughs> I took all my buddies Going from, back to the original yeah, uh,
0: UCB days.
1: I, I went back to all my UCB buddies and I said, I'm gonna go do this thing um, will you come with? And we'll entertain the troops and, you know, and this is the height of the violence. I mean, there was, there was, there was many a time in the middle of a show, you know, the the machine gun, the 60 would go off and, and we'd have to scramble to the, Mm. to the, to the bunkers. Wow. and you were uh,
0: probably more used to that type of thing than, than those guys were. Yeah,
1: probably a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they,
0: hopefully they felt safe with you.
1: Yeah, I think they did. But we were, you know, it's so funny, too, is like we went to a new base every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day we'd get up, get on helicopters and fly to the next. And they were all fobs, all mm-hmm. forward forward operating mm-hmm, bases. Yeah. So they're out there on the pointy end of the spear. Yeah. And we land. We'd spend all day with the troops. Uh, I would try to squeeze in a quick story about something and then we'd do a show that night because it was 125 degrees at night and, uh, like 137 during the day. And, you know, it was just unbearable. So we would we would uh, do these shows. Well, maybe it was 125 during the day and like 118 or 17 at night, but we'd have to wait till nighttime to do the shows. And, um, but it was so much fun to entertain the troops. It meant a lot. Mm -hmm. And, uh. I don't know. It's special, I think. And, mm-hmm. and it's one of those really cool memories that something we all went through together. But everywhere we landed, they always put us in these, uh, you know, we'd have bunk beds or whatever. And mm-hmm. we were like boys at camp. <laughs> we'd stay up all night talking and yeah. telling jokes and making fun of each other. And we like, guys, we need to get to sleep. It's like three in the morning. We're flying <laughs> out of here in two hours, you know, shut up. And we're going to be up all day You yeah. know, tomorrow. And we got another show and we couldn't help ourselves. Yeah, Those we're are not...
0: some funny guys. So I can imagine the yeah. <laughs> late yeah. nights. Um, so you mentioned uh will ferrell was someone you know you you looked up to uh at snl and then uh on in Step Brothers you got to kind of improvise with him and and also adam mckay directing so uh what well, what was that experience like for you
1: that was one of the greatest experiences of all time mm-hmm. uh, you know people ask me all the time what was your favorite movie to make and, and to make mm-hmm. uh stepbrothers because yeah. adam and will are such great improvisers that the, and adam appreciates it he lets you run amok mm-hmm. if you look at the deleted scenes uh, on the DVD, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's some really funny stuff on there that no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, playing with Will, he's so gracious. You know, if if he's the straight man, he'll be the straight man. If mm-hmm. he's the crazy one, he'll be the crazy one. Mm-hmm. It just he doesn't care, just as long as the comedy is, is working.
0: Yeah. And so he's
1: he's such a great straight man. Um, and because uh, my character was over the top. Yeah. And so he and you know he was kind of always forced into that straight man role whenever we shared a scene. Um, But we improvised well Uh, Adam Scott got into it, you Mm -hmm. know, and and it was all fun because people ask that all the time They're like, you know, that whole Kobayashi line or Randy here is gonna eat your dick Mm -hmm. Well the improv rule yes and right Mm -hmm. yes you yes means agreement I'm gonna agree with what was said and and means I'm gonna add information Well when he says Randy here's gonna eat your dick if I said no, I won't (laughs) Scene's over right? Yeah, all of a sudden it, it gets awkward and weird and the scene doesn't work. So I have to say yes without saying yes so i said like kobayashi and i start yeah. chowing down on a hot dog well that made it in because yeah. that's, that's yes and that's mm-hmm. improv mm-hmm. and that's how things work hey your brother wants a shot of the a wine mixer <laughs> i'm ready i'm walking tall you think you're ready to run with the bowls i've been earning and burning snapping necks and cashing checks screw it let's let him do it no, it's a win win for me. Because if you fuck up, Brennan, if you fuck up, yeah. I get to fire your ass. But if you pull it off, I look like a genius to the board. Pa! Okay? I get it. Look, Brennan, here's the thing it's the Catalina fucking wine mixer. Okay? Pa! Are you saying pow?
0: What are you saying? Pa!
1: It's the biggest helicopter leasing event in the Western Hemisphere since 1997.
0: Pa! Why does he keep doing that?
1: I have to sell or lease at least 80 choppers to make my nut, and you. Okay. You mess with my nut, Brennan. Randy here is gonna eat your dick like Kobayashi. <laughs> I've seen him do it. And so we had fun, you mm-hmm. know, and we would say things to each other. like I didn't know he was gonna say that. I didn't know he was gonna say Randy here is gonna eat your dick. Yeah. But you make you have to make something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I had I had a ton of fun. That was an yeah. amazing movie. Yeah.
0: Um, so the hangover is something that I think a lot of people know you from, even though you're only in what one or two scenes in the in the movie or?
1: yeah i think uh yeah two scenes the um, the the taser tasering scene, mm-hmm. and then when I kick in the the door to to get the the baby to yeah. arrest them all.
0: Yeah, I was curious if you got um to interact with or work at all with uh, Brody Stevens in yes, that movie. Yes. Absolutely. Um and and what you remember from from that?
1: I remember Brody was he's just a pistol. he's shot out of a cannon, mm-hmm. you know. And and I used to run into Brody like when I would go do um at midnight cuz he used to warm up the crowd there and uh Brody and I went to a couple Dodger games together. Mm-hmm. He's a big, he was a wonderful baseball player and a big baseball fan. He knew every stat, every player, every, um, and, and, uh, you know, when you're around Brody, it's Brody's world, which was fun, um, because he's, he had, he had such a big personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was very sad. I went to his tribute down at the uh, comedy store. Yeah. Um, I was very sad that he passed because I think he had a lot to offer.
0: Yeah. Um, so I had uh, Jeff Ross on the show not too long ago, and we talked about the the roast of Rob Lowe a decent amount. And I know you were you were part of that as well. Uh, what stands out from you uh, for you from that night?
1: Oh, big lesson! If you're ever going to get roasted, make sure there's somebody else on the <laughs> the, the dais yeah. that uh, uh, will draw a lot of heat. And <laughs> he brought Ann Coulter, which yeah. she drew a lot of heat off of him, uh, <laughs> off of Rob. So I thought that was very clever. Uh, But I I remember having fun. I remember hanging out with Peyton Manning and and, uh, Peyton is a very funny guy. He gets it. He knows why things are funny. He's just a funny dude. And uh, like Ralph Macchio was very super sweet. He's Mm -hmm. just a sweet man, you know, very nice. and uh, i was sitting next to Pete Davidson the whole night, and he was hilarious. He was just a pistol. Yeah, and that's so kind I,
0: of before most people knew who he was, probably. Right. Well, I think people well, yeah. were starting to yeah. know. He
1: definitely hadn't dated anybody. Fa- yeah. <laughs> you know, he wasn't. He getting, wasn't as famous as he is yeah, now. Yeah, he wasn't dating his his uh, uh, his dating prowess wasn't quite there yet, but. Anyway, I enjoyed everybody. I really did mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know getting to, to bust on Rob because Rob and I did a pilot together mm-hmm. And uh, it was so much fun and we hit it off mm-hmm. and so I was really honored that he asked me to be there
0: Yeah, um, so the final thing that we do on the show is um, I'm gonna ask you what the last thing that made you laugh really hard is what what comes to mind uh, it Could be something on TV or in a movie or in a stand-up show or just anything that, that made you laugh
1: Okay, so it was at a charity event, my charity event in Kansas City, and I'm going to screw up his last name, and I apologize in advance. Nate Berg... Bargetsy? Bargetsy. I always say, when I say something," Berga- Bar- I, yeah. I always screw it up. So, Bargetsy?
0: I think it's Bargetsy.
1: Bargetsy. Yeah. Well, Nate, mm-hmm. as I know him, yeah, just destroyed it. Yeah. He is the funniest guy. I think he is hilarious, and he had me doubled over laughing, like yeah. genuinely laughing. Um, and he's, he, you know, he's not doing anything crazy. He's just a wonderful storyteller and a wonderful, uh, has such a wonderful demeanor yeah. about his stories. Um, I don't know. He, yeah, that, that's la- the last time I laughed out hard, a genuine laugh. It was, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: uh, with him for sure. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. It was really fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you again to Rob Riggle for being my guest on today's show. If you want to hear more from Nate Bargetzi, who he mentioned as his uh, favorite comic right now, definitely check out the episode I did with him on this podcast from a couple of weeks ago. You can catch Holy Moly uh, Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. And Riggle's uh, Shark Week special on the Discovery Channel is coming this Sunday night, July 28th at 9 p.m. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends, share this episode, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude. You can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.